Welcome to the Practical Church Revitalization Podcast. We look at revitalization in real time, examining the ups and downs of revitalizing and replanting historic and legacy churches throughout New England and the U.S. Now here's your hosts, Eric Malloy, Don McKinnon, and Sam Jimenez. Who did such a great job earlier. Uh, I got to tell him a really cool connection. I want to just give you this as a point of encouragement, uh, just showing that God is at work in the midst of everything that we see as the craziness of 2020. And sometimes, like in the book of Esther, it can feel like God is silent, but that does not mean that he is absent. And he has not stopped working. He has not shut down. He has not slowed down. And so I got just a fun story, not related to this, but enough for you to know it that's important, important enough for you to know it. So a young lady who lives in Jacksonville, Florida, where I pastor, has some friends and family here or in the Kansas City area. And so prior to COVID really kind of blowing up, she had come to visit that for those friends and those family, and she ended up getting stuck where she couldn't travel back. And so she was here for a while, was out of work for a while. While she was here visiting those friends who happened to be members of this very church that we sit in right now, the father of her friend led her to Christ and started discipling her. And as that happened, then when she felt like she could finally get back to Jacksonville, they thought, We've got to find her a church in Jacksonville, somewhere to go. And so they asked Greg Bull, where's Greg? Where are you at? So they asked Greg Bull, where should she go to church in Jacksonville? And he goes, I have no idea. Uh, but I do know there's a guy named Jimbo, and he's somewhere in Jacksonville. Now, here's what you got to understand about Jacksonville. It is physically, landmass-wise, the largest city in America. And so, I mean, it's, it is, I mean, you can fit almost every other major city inside of Jacksonville. So saying that someone else is in Jacksonville is almost like someone saying someone else is in Missouri. Uh, that, that may not mean that we're close at all, but by God's sovereignty, she lives about three minutes from the church that I pastor. And so she ended up attending and has been attending regularly ever since. And it was so cool to text her this morning uh, when I realized that this was the church and text her a picture and said, is this the church you went to in Kansas City? And she said, yes. And she was so excited. And so, uh, Chris, man, uh, our Redemption Church will be sending you all of our assets and we'll be Fellowship Church Jacksonville. Uh, once you want to just sign the paperwork, we can keep that moving on. Um, no, I just wanted you to be encouraged by that story and to wake you up a little bit after lunch. Uh, the thing about replanting and revitalizing churches and how important it is, as has already been established so well by Mark earlier, it's a serious problem. When in the Southern Baptist Convention, eight to 900 churches a year are, are closing their doors. And when, according to Dr. Rayner, because it's now just a, a challenge, he has to get name dropped in every message, by the way, Bob. Uh, according to Dr. Rayner, 80% of church revitalizations don't work. Okay, so we've got a serious problem. And one of the reasons I think we have a serious problem is I think we've taken too simple of an approach. And so here's what I mean. I think we have taken the approach that my dad took to teaching me how to swim. Anybody else just get thrown in the pool? So I've done that with all three of my children, and one of them, it was a traumatic experience. He survived it, but he's, he, he is not glad that we did it. 
Right, and so, see, the thing is, when we throw somebody in the pool, we know that they have some basic skills. We know that they know how to move their arms and their legs. We know that they know how to breathe, and we assume that they'll do the math and figure out all of those things in enough time that they won't drown. But we also know that we're there just in case they drown. Or it's like my dad decided to teach me a lot of things. My dad was the guy who, when he saw me walking towards an electrical outlet with a fork, and my mom wanted to stop me, he said, no, let him do it. If he does it, he'll only do it once. Or my dad wanted me to learn how to drive. At 16, I got an old beat-up Toyota pickup truck that was a stick shift that I did not know how to drive. My dad handed me the keys and said, don't be home till midnight. Just go figure it out, right? And so often, we take guys through seminary or some training. They have the ability to stand in the pulpit and communicate God's word. And so we assume because he knows how to communicate God's word, he knows how to revitalize a dying church. Here's what I want to tell you. Serious problems require solutions that are both spiritual and strategic. Spiritual and strategic. Let, let, me, let me give you some examples. Because you may think, well, that sounds very pragmatic. I don't know if that's biblical. Well, hold on a second. Let's think about it. Moses and Jethro had a spiritual and strategic conversation that Moses was overwhelmed and needed to spread out his responsibilities and not do everything by himself. Nehemiah is a great example of being both spiritual and strategic. The Esther and Mordecai moment in Esther chapter 4 is both very spiritual and strategic. In Acts chapter 6, we see a situation arise and the elders of the church, the apostles, the leaders lead in a situation to resolve it that is both spiritual and strategic. Paul, after planting churches, goes back very often to strengthen the disciples. Paul, as he is being arrested, is strategic in how he responds to government officials, knowing when to play the Roman citizenship card and when not to. But let me give you more than examples. A passage you all know, Psalm 78, 72, if you could put that on the screen. Psalm 78, 72 says that he led them, he shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with skillful hands, both a pure heart and skillful hands. So as I talk about characteristics, I don't want you to miss what I'm saying and assume what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this is more important than the biblical qualifications of a pastor. I'm not saying that this is more important than the ability to preach. I'm saying that those things are like breathing and moving your arms, and you need to have those things. But before I throw you in the pool, I want us to look strategically at what are some things that we found through research, through not just my paper, but a couple of other doctoral papers, that have affirmed certain characteristics that we find in guys who do this effectively. Now, I'm not talking about you doing it in your own strength. Talk about the fact that God has gifted you in a very specific way. God has wired you in a very specific way, and he's given you those gifts so that you would hand them back to him like five loaves and two fish and see what he does. It's, it's the practical aspect of Romans chapter 12. I love it how just simple and clear Paul is when he says, hey, if you've got the gift of teaching, what does he say? Then Teach. Guys, it doesn't get easier than that. I mean, he's, it does, I, I love the practicality. If you've got this gift, then you need to use it. And so how do we identify areas that can help us do this well? Using what God has given us. As a matter of fact, I would say one of my favorite stories of using what God has given you well is the story of Caleb. 
Caleb, after fighting through all this time, after being one of the spies, being an old man, getting into the promised land, and there's an area that he says, he goes back and he goes, hey, listen, God said I could have this part. But here's what he also says, and I got enough fight left in me to do it. <laughs> right? Listen, this, this is part of what it means to be a replanter or revitalizer. It's saying that God said this is his bride and God has given me enough fight in me to get in there and do it, to reclaim the glory of God in this dying church because it's needed in this community. And so serious problems require solutions that are both spiritual and strategic. Proverbs 4, 7 says the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. So some of this is not going to be very complicated. Some of this is going to be very simple. But this is a practice in understanding how to get wisdom, how to get insight. One of the greatest parts of wisdom and insight you can get as a leader that really will help, that this is, this is a tool towards this, is just self-awareness. All of this characteristic stuff that I'm working on is really just to help you have a greater self-awareness of where God has gifted you so that you can know what to do. Because we know that God has not gifted every single believer in exactly the same way. That he doesn't desire it to be that way. That's why in Romans 12 it gives a list of different gifts. And in other passages a list of different gifts. That's why in Ephesians 4, 11-16, which is the church growth model of the Bible. Right? That God gave the gifts of apostles and teachers and evangelists and, and to be the gifts, the leaders of the church, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And what is that work of ministry? Building the church up in unity into the fullness of Christ. And when each part, verse 16, plays its part properly, when each part plays its part properly, the church builds itself up in love. Listen, I'm not, just talk, I'm not talking numeric growth here. I, you have to hear the heart of the whole replant team. It's not trying to take your church from 20 to 200. The heart of the replant team is simply this, that you would glorify God by making disciples that make disciples that impact the community around the church for the kingdom of God. That's it. And when each part plays its part properly, we find that we can do that. The church builds itself up in love. So, so I've broken the 13 characteristics for you down into four categories. Now, you don't have to write feverishly as I do this. I'm going to give you a resource at the very end, uh, tell you how to get to it, where you can take a free assessment on giving you a one to five score on each of the 13 characteristics and more information than you could ever want on each of the characteristics. So. Uh, as I, I, I'm intentionally not going to go detailed into these because I don't want to spend all the time doing that when you, could, you, you can dive into those on your own later. And if you have questions, let me know. But So we have 13 characteristics. Uh, if you're not married, then it's only 12, three in each of the four categories. And I kept trying to think through a way to make this an easier way to understand. So it's the original ones that the NAM team sent and then based off of doctoral research, adding five more. Uh, and so that research was done by Dr. Stephen Hudson and then myself in a PhD paper. Dr. Stephen Hudson did uh, lots of ways of studying and interviewing mixed methods of figuring out what these competencies of revitalization and replanting pastors are. 
Uh, and then my doctoral work is figuring out how do we identify, assess, and develop in those characteristics. And so my argument today is for adding this to your toolbox. So the foundation is the biblical qualifications of what it means to be a pastor, spiritual vitality, walking in the spirit, bearing the fruit of the spirit. Those all are far more important than any of these things I'm going to list. But what I'm telling you is replanting and revitalizing dying churches is not as simple as just show up on Sunday and preach the gospel. As a matter of fact, when I tell you that serious problems require solutions that are both spiritual and strategic, I'm convinced it requires both because to lean only on one is an error. If you lean only on spiritual solutions and not strategic, then it's lazy. All you'll do is preach, visit people in the hospital, and hope that the church grows. But God has given you work to do, to shepherd, to make disciples, to be missional in your community. And so you've got to be strategic with what God has given you as you give it back to him as an offer of a sacrifice of your life in work towards him. But if you only focus on the strategic, then it's not lazy, it's prideful. It's striking the rock. It's, it's acting like you've got the solution, and I, I want to be really clear. You don't have the solution. You are not the solution. You cannot be cool enough or smart enough to replant a dying church. What you can do is become self-aware of how God has wired you, of how God has gifted you, and be you. Be you that God desires you to be, not try to emulate Mark Clifton, not try to emulate Tom Rayner or David Platt or John Piper or John MacArthur or whoever your hero is, fill in that blank. Don't try to be them. If God wanted that guy to be the pastor of your church, he would have called that guy. But if God has called you to lead a dying church, then God has also equipped you. And so let's figure out what some of those things are. As we look at the head, the thinking of a replanter, we start with one of the original of the characteristics, the visionary shepherd. A visionary shepherd has the ability to sense and see God's next steps for a congregation and the capacity to lead the church forward as a loving shepherd. A visionary shepherd is patient. He is wise. He is strategic. He is relational. Visionary shepherds, are not just visionaries, and they're not just shepherds. They are some magical, mystical, miraculous mix of the two. It's understanding that you have to move this church forward to be what God has called it to be, but have the patience and the wisdom and the care and the kindness to shepherd and disciple people who may not be ready to get there yet. You also have to have one of the new characteristics is organizational awareness. The layman's version of organizational awareness is essentially understanding the personality and the quirks of your organization, your church. So think of it like this. Anybody been married more than a year in here? Have you figured out that you came from two different families yet? Right? And your families have very different personalities. Now, my family is a big family. We're a really big family. And we used to do Christmas all together, huge, 40 of us. It was a whole program with a set list. We knew when the kids were going to do this play, these people were going to sing this song. I was usually called on to preach, and we'd do this thing and this thing, and all these things happen. And Christmas has always literally been a production in my family. And so the first time I did Christmas with my wife's family, and we sat around the TV watching The Price is Right and eating pizza, I really felt like something was wrong. 
Like, this is what's wrong with your family. But then we realized that her family makes a really big deal out of Thanksgiving and the, all the ladies after Thanksgiving dinner sit down and make their war plan for Black Friday shopping while all the men go to bed early because they're going to wake up and go deer hunting in the morning. My family doesn't do anything for Thanksgiving. And so my family, my wife looked and said, what's wrong with your family? We have to understand the, the nuances and quirks of an organization. We have to understand kind of the personality of that organization, not only internally, but what, what is its relation in the community? What has been the reputation of that church in the community for a long time? How, how has that community interacted? What have been the good things that have happened, the bad things that have happened? How do people view all of that? Organizational awareness. Next one is tactical patience. This is, if my research is correct, actually originally a term for snipers. Snipers have to literally know when to pull the trigger. And that's essentially, if I could give you a colloquial definition of what it means to have tactical patience, it is to know when to pull the trigger. It's knowing as a visionary, when you walk in, that there's a whole lot of things that have got to change. Chris, I realize you have the same exact painted paneling that I do in my church. Anybody else have painted paneling in their church? It's going in and knowing certain things that need to change, but also knowing enough and having wisdom enough that you can't change all of them at once. I remember when I left the city of New Orleans, which is the area I grew up in, to go to Jacksonville to replant. There was a guy there that was replanting a church. Uh, it didn't work. And he told me, he said, listen, everybody says, wait a year or two before you change anything, man. Just go in and change whatever you need to change. You do what you need to do. The mission of God is too important. About a year after I moved to Jacksonville, his church closed down. So tactical patience, being tactical and knowing how to change things and when to change things. Um, and so those are the things of the thinking in the head of a replanter. Now, maybe... Theologically, the most important here is the heart of a replanter, skillful hands and a pure heart. Gospel orientation. Guys, the gospel has to be what drives what you do, not gimmicks. It has to be the life-changing, life-giving power of the gospel. Not a worship style, not interior decorating, not skinny jeans or not skinny jeans, not any of the, the, that knowing that it's, not, it's no new trend or effort or gimmick that will accomplish the work of God. It is being an under-shepherd in obedience to your shepherd and taking what he's given you and giving it back to him as your five loaves and your two fish and saying, Lord, this is your church. Lead me and by the power of the gospel, because here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I've seen in my community I pastor in an urban community, high crime, low income. I want to tell you, when, when people come into my church dealing with deep brokenness, I mean, they don't care what our carpet looks like. They don't care if we have chairs or pews. They don't care what kind of pants I'm wearing. They don't care what style of music. They don't care any of those things. You know what they care? That they were hopeless and in a dark spot and deeply broken, and they need hope that only the gospel can bring. That's what they need. And this, this is what, when Mark is telling you that you may think you don't have what you need, but you have the risen Savior, listen, that's not just trite preacherisms. That is the truth. The gospel is what you need. The gospel is what your community needs, and everything you do needs to be oriented around the gospel. But on that, you also have to have a missional focus as a church. Your church cannot just be internally focused. 
We have to get beyond our preferences and be about the mission and the purpose of God out in our community. This is that Jeremiah 29, 7, when the Israelites are exiled into Babylon and they want to hold off and they want things their way and they don't want to integrate with the Babylonian culture because the Babylonian culture is bad and it's wrong and it's pagan. And so they just say, just wait, because over time, all of this will change and God will get us out of here soon. And so the prophet Jeremiah from God tells them, no, you're going to be here for a while. And so Jeremiah 29, 7, God tells them through the prophet Jeremiah, now listen, you need to seek the welfare and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Catch that? God didn't say where you accidentally ended up. Oh man, the neighborhood's changed so much, we just can't. Nope, he didn't say that. God said, I need you to seek the welfare and prosperity of the city where I sent you. Listen, your, it's been said so many times, I think it was original with Sam Rayner, the address of your church is not an accident. Maybe the neighborhood's changed. Well, you know what? You know who did that on purpose? God. God did that on purpose. Don't miss your moment. Don't miss your Esther moment for such a time as this, that right where you are, where God, right where God has put you and put that church, he's given you a mission field. And you've got to make a difference in that community. And you can find ways to do that. If you want help, let us know. We can talk to you about it. Next one is emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is really just the capacity to be aware of, control, and express one's own emotions and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. Listen, I've never talked to a replanter or revitalizer that hasn't entered a dark season. If you attempt to reclaim the glory of God for a dying church, the enemy will not sit idly by and let you do that. Christian, chicken in my throat. It's not COVID, I promise. He will not sit by. And you're going to need to be emotionally intelligent enough to understand where your emotions are. So that when somebody gets in your face in front of everybody, listen to me, that's not an inconvenience. That's an opportunity for you to shepherd and show your church what it looks like. It's an opportunity for your church to look on and see how Christians deal with conflict. It's emotional intelligence enough to know that in the midst of all the inconveniences of COVID and an election year and devil hurricane season slash wildfires slash whatever else you want to throw in the mix of all that is 2020 when the world is looking for hope and purpose we can sit here and whine and complain or when the world looks to the bride of Christ they could find hope but that requires the emotional intelligence of knowing that you stand on the rock and not on your emotions now just like it will be difficult for you it will also be difficult for your spouse and so in the church planter characteristics, this one is listed as spousal support. My wife loves to point out that they changed it for replanters to spousal perseverance. So wives of planters, you got to be supportive. Wives of replanters, you just got to not quit. (laughs) It it ain't going to be easy. It is going to be a complicated and difficult process. If you're like my family, you're going to walk in and your kids are going to be the only children in the children's ministry. And when we walked in, my son in front of a whole bunch of senior adults said, this place smells like old people. (laughs) 
And my thought was, he's not wrong. I just wish he wouldn't have said it out loud. I remember our first Wednesday nights in a sanctuary about this size with four people in the sanctuary other than my family of five. And I would lead a short devotional, my wife would lead a hymn, and my kids would just run around like crazy. I could tell you story after story of what it's been like to try to see children's ministry happen. How it's been difficult to not have other young couples our age. How it's been difficult to have people constantly judge and question your parenting techniques and processes, even though when you look at their kids, you assume that maybe not being on their good list might not be a bad thing. If they don't approve of our parenting, we might be doing it right. It's not going to be easy for your spouse. Spousal perseverance. All of this is the heart of a replanter. Then the hands. The hands are the, the work ethic of a replanter. Starts with pastoral grit. This was one that we changed from capacity for suffering or high tolerance for pain. And we've defined it as pastoral grit is the ability to persevere through the inevitable difficulties of replanting and remain steadfast to shepherd the church forward as God uses the replanter to turn a dying church around. Pastoral grit is that moment in Rocky when he's beaten down by Apollo Creed and he just won't stop getting up. Right? Pastoral grit is understanding not just a high tolerance for pain and knowing that it's going to be painful and difficult, but being able to continue to lead through that process. And you, listen to me, you cannot do that on your own. If you don't have people around you praying for you, supporting you, that you confide in, that you let know what's going on in your life, if you try to do this in your own strength, you 100% will fail. So grit is not, some, it's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It is the spiritual strength of somebody who leans in on the body of Christ to stir them up to good works, to be restored when you're down. It's being willing to admit when you've got to take a break because you know the fight is a marathon and not a sprint. Resourceful generalist is one of the original ones as well. A resourceful generalist possesses the ability to speak into and lead in a variety of areas in order to lead the church well. There is no task beneath him. Chances are, if you come to a dying church, finding people to do things will be one of your harder tasks. And you're going to need to know how to do things. You're going to need to know, if you want a children's ministry, how you're going to do that. You're going to need to know when the toilet gets clogged, how to unclog it. You're going to need to know what it's like when you're walking into the pulpit, true story, and a senior adult lady comes and tells you there's no toilet paper in the ladies' bathroom as I'm walking into the pulpit. You're going to need to know, as happened to me just a couple of weeks ago, when our worship pastor and the entire media team, unbeknownst to me, decided to all go on vacation on the same Sunday, how to turn things on and what to do. And of course, the crossover went kaputs that same weekend. And you've got to be somebody that rolls with the punches and figures things out. That you don't have to be an expert at all things, but you need to be willing to figure out answers. But here's the key other part of being a resourceful generalist. It's knowing that you're not supposed to stay there. That Ephesians 4:11 through 16 tells us to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. If you've been out of church a long time and you're still the only one doing things, start with one person. 
Start with one person. And, and if you're having a hard time and you're in a small church and you think, I can't find, any, find one person, and just spend six months to a year teaching them how to do something that you do. And then pick one more. And then one more. And one more. If you are always doing the work of ministry, you are not doing the work of ministry. The job... The calling is to equip others to do the work of ministry. And that's what a resourceful generalist does. Tied very closely to that, found in our doctoral research, is the absolute necessity to be someone with initiative, with a bias towards action. Now, this is not in absence of following the Lord's call, but this is... This is the fact that you're not going to sit around and wait. An old country preacher friend of mine dealt with a problem in his church where people would constantly, every time he asked them, say, well, I don't feel led to do that. And so one Sunday, he had the ushers, as they were walking in, hand every single person a pencil. And he said, now break it open, rub your finger on it. You have now felt led. It's corny. But don't tell me you're not considering doing it. <laughs> Listen to me, pastor. Don't wait till, you're feel, till you feel led to go walk around your community and get to know people and share the gospel. When we don't know what the will of God is, you know what we can do? The will of God. There are some things that are so clear in the Bible that if we'll just start doing those things, so often we sit paralyzed waiting for God to make it a burning bush clear exactly what I'm supposed to do. Get busy doing the things you know God has called you to do. Get busy doing the Father's work. And I promise you, as you walk closely to the Spirit, you'll hear Him better. So don't wait for the burning bush. Take initiative have the work ethic of a replanter, and then lastly, the habits. These are cultural habits that need to be infused in the way you do everything as a replanter or revitalizer. First one is an affinity for multi-generational history, ministry. A replant pastor with an affinity for multi-generational ministry is able to connect easily with both the young and the old in his congregation so that each group knows they are loved valued and heard, and so all ages are pastored well. If you're anything like me, you will find yourself in a weird tension between a part of your church that feels like you're moving at light speed and a part that moves like, feels like you're moving like a snail. That probably means you're where you're supposed to be. But here, here's the key. Look, when we look at Titus, what do we see? We see multi-generational relationships pouring into each other. So think about, understand this, when we say an affinity for multi-generational ministry, I'm not saying that you are a church that has old people and young people in it. I'm saying you are a church that has old people and young people doing biblical community amongst each other, being iron sharpening iron and growing with each other. That's what multi-generational ministry looks like. Matter of fact, this is one of the things I love so much about replanting and revitalization is it requires such a cultural mashup of generations and, and communities that here's, catch this, it re, here's what it requires. 
It requires the people of your church and you to die to yourself and take up your cross daily and follow Jesus or it won't work. Well, that's not a bad thing. That's like trying to figure out how to swing a golf club and not figuring it out on yourself, but having a trainer put one of those weird straps on you that makes you do it correctly. Listen, replanting a dying church only works if people deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. And multi-generational ministry is a phenomenal opportunity to see that happening. When you see generations mix and do life together, it is something beautiful. When you see different ethnicities and cultures, cultures come together in unity. Listen, we live in a time where racial tension is at its height. And honestly, generational tensions are at, their, at, a, at a height right now. And it's such a burden on me that, that the bride of Christ ought to be the one place the world can look to see what that should look like. And the government can't fix it. But the bride of Christ has the answer. And it starts with things like this. And so it means you've got to love and value and pastor all the generations. Also a respect for a church's legacy. You're not coming in and blowing everything up. Listen, there are dear saints there that have sacrificed and served for a long time. And when you walk in and act like everything they've done is a mistake, you're the one that's made a mistake. You're the one. Walk in, learn, figure out the history. Why was that church planted in the first place? What started it? What was the passion for that neighborhood? Because essentially all replanting really is, is figuring out why it was there in the first place and moving back to that original vision. Because I guarantee you, I can almost guarantee you, the vision was something like there was a neighborhood that didn't have a gospel preaching church and it needed one. And you know what? That's not a hard vision to build a church on. So just go back to that idea. Respect the church's legacy. Know how to love and build on a church's past without allowing the people in the congregation to idolize it in an unhealthy way. There's a difference between nostalgia and memories. Having a good memory can lead you towards something in the future. Having nostalgia can be a cul-de-sac of idolatry. Lastly, and this is one of the new ones, uh, a willingness to confront. There's a good chance that there is sin in the camp. You know why? Because there's people there. And sometimes there are going to be people who are going to want to be bullies, or they're going to want to take over, they're going to want to hijack the vision, they're going to be dishonest, they're going to be deceptive. And listen, Pastor. It's your job, if they're a sheep, to disciple them back into alignment with the will and the heart of God, or if they're a wolf, to take care of it. A willingness, but not an eagerness to confront is a necessary characteristic of a replanter. So, I told you not to take feverish notes because I want to show you something, if you can click to the next slide. Um, we have worked really hard over the last year and a half some of you have maybe already done this. Some maybe have not. We had a kind of a Google Forms version there for a while. If you took that, I would encourage you to go take the new one. We've, we've built it out to be much better as far as a resource. This is a free resource for you, absolutely free to you because of the gifts of 
everyone to the North American Mission Board. And so um, because of Annie Armstrong, we get to do this for you. So you go to churchreplanters.com. And then you click up in the top right, a little blue button that says, am I a replanter? Next, if you'll show the next slide, uh, when you click that, the next website that'll come up will look like this. And there's another blue button that says, start survey. And if you'll click start survey, the survey will look a little bit like this. And you'll go through uh, 80-something questions. It'll take you about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, and it's just Likert scale where you're clicking one side or the other. But here's, here's what's really cool is when you're done, it will automatically give you a PDF report if you'll click the next slide. Uh, this is just some screenshots of some of the beginning of what it'll do. It'll Out of that head, heart, hands, and habits, you'll see not only your score in a chart there, but that line is uh, what the average of everybody that's taken it up to this point. It automatically counts calculates that so you can see where you stand against the average person who's taken the survey and you'll get to see your scores and then for each head heart hands and habits that second page don't worry about the details just look at your report you'll see an overall score for that category but here's what's most important uh, if you just take the survey and you get a one to five score and then you leave it then you have not accomplished what this thing can do for you what you need to do is take it and those reflection questions at the bottom of each of those sections, sit down with somebody who knows you well. They said, listen, if you're considering being a replanter or revitalizer, you are a replanter or revitalizer, or you're an associational worker that wants to work with replanters and revitalizers, this will benefit you to take this. Now you sit down with somebody and you work through those reflection questions. And as you work through those reflection questions, you will learn some things about where you stand on each of those and whether it's accurate or not, and you can create a development plan. Next slide, please. Um, and, and so all of that to say, take this resource, use it, let it be your five loaves and your two fish, but understand this. Because I know what I'm talking about is incredibly practical, and, and sometimes the temptation when we talk practical is to think just strategic. Serious problems require solutions that are both spiritual and strategic. So this is important to remember. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. Unless the Lord replants or revitalizes the church, you're wasting your time. I'm not telling you that if you take this survey and get all fives, that you will be a perfect replanter. I just want to give you a tool that helps increase your self-awareness so you can continue to grow in strategic areas of your leadership that we have found to be effective in revitalizers and replanters. Because this matters. Because the young lady... They got saved while she's in Kansas City and moved back to Jacksonville seven years ago, lived two and a half miles from a church that was dead, that she couldn't have been passed off to, that wouldn't have helped her much. But because God has replanted Redemption Church in Jacksonville, Florida, because God has replanted Fellowship Church here in Greenwood, Missouri, that girl's story is a part of both churches. That had nothing to do with me. That had nothing to do with Pastor Chris. That was the Lord building his bride. Thank you.